Talk, I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I gotta tell you something, people. I, uh, I was thinking about my guests today and, and, and how I get guests. And, and, and it's very amazing how I get guests. And, and, and this uh, amazing writer sent me a message. But a lot of times people send me requests to be on my show and, and, and they're, just, they're just rude. They go, like, it's like some comic I hardly know. And they'll go, hey, man, when am I going to on your show? And I'm like, well, when you get a show and never. And I also go through stuff where I get PR people where I, I, I request someone. And I get, I get, believe me, there's a lot of good PR people. But I... I'll, rec- I'll ask for someone and then they send me someone back and I ask for someone who has a bunch of uh, IMDB credits and, and they send me someone back with like 30 credits and, and, and not to be arrogant but when it comes to actors I, I expect a higher quality but this guest I gotta tell you people if you ever if you ever, if you ever want to be on the Cooper Talk you gotta be like this guest she uh, she wrote a, gr- a great article and, and she I saw her interview and I sat there and I went it was really good and she sent me a message and she listened to the Phil Verone episode, which if you listen to Phil Verone ever, any show he talks on, Phil Verone is wonderful. But she sent me the, the most polite query. And then I said, hey, you know, you, you can pitch me and uh, we'll do that. And, and then she sent me a letter and she, she opened it, her email. It said, thank you for giving me the opportunity to pitch. And right then, I didn't even read the rest of the letter because she was already booked. And she's a, she's, she's a great writer. And my guest is Amanda Lauren. How you doing, Amanda? I'm great. How are you? How did how did you know? How did you grow up with that business business savvy? How, how did that happen? Because your 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 query letter was just direct. Like people people don't understand. Like getting an agent or getting something is so easy if you word it right. How did you grow? How what made you learn how to write a letter like like an email like that? Um, I don't know. You know what? Um, I, my parents are business people, and I, I just always feel like especially today, everyone is a business. Your brand is a business and you have to approach things like that. And I don't know, I feel like people also aren't very polite these days. So I try to be polite myself, I guess. Well, it was great. I mean, as I said, you sold me because you were just <laughs> polite and, and that's what's amazing. I mean, I sit there, you know, I, I, I talk to people. And that's what I love to do. And I always look for someone interesting. Now, now what made you start writing because you know that's what you do you're a writer and I believe your husband's a writer and yeah what made you when when did you notice you would start becoming a writer I mean I was writing ever since I was like a little kid and I you know wrote things in English class and in college and um what happened was you know I moved out here to be in show business from New York I moved to LA and it's something I'm still pursuing but I really, like, was terrible at bad day jobs. I mean, I had, like, every bad, typical L.A. day job you could ever have. And um, I would, I was working, um, I was merchandising a product that sold in supermarkets and drugstores. And I, I hated my job. And I would sit in my car and I would cry and I would just read blogs and, um, I would, you know, I was just like, you know what, I, I can write, I, I can do this. So um, I started to pitch articles and it became, it became my day job and it became my job and that's how I started doing it. So you sit there, now, now and your major in college was what? Theater. Okay, so you were a theater major and I know you did a little stand-up, which, you know, mm-hmm. just so you know, us, us old curmungeons of the stand-up world were back. You know, we, we, we always go, ah, you can't do a little stand-up. You're either all in or you're all out. 
But so how did you sit there and find your voice when it came to writing? Because you were a theater major and, and, and a lot of theater people and, well, comics can write, but a lot of theater people can't write because they're used to getting stuff supplied to them. They're getting, they're, they're used to getting the, the script written for them. What made you think you could write just from what, looking at blogs and saying, this isn't good enough, I can do better? Well, it wasn't that it wasn't like this isn't good enough, I can do better. I mean, uh, some of the time it was, but a lot of the time I was like, well, I'm just as good as this person. And I've had, you know, just as many interesting life experiences and I want to talk about them. Um, and I also think that in the past, like, I'll be honest with you, I would say the past 10 years, maybe the past 15 years, maybe that's overestimating it. I think that you can't just do one thing these days. You can't just write. You can't just act. You know, you have to, like, have, you know, a bit, like, Lena Dunham isn't just a writer. She's an actress, and she does her projects, and she does other people's projects. Um, so I guess that's what made me think that I, that I can do it. I just saw it as all part of the game. Well, you're, you're, you're right about the uh, multitasking because I just had Curry Graham on, who's one of the stars of Murder in the First, but he's pitching projects. I had Scott Cohen, who's, if you've know, you seen him, you know Scott Cohen, very handsome, older guy. He was, you know, he's pitching projects. I had John Eddy on, who was a, was a, is a singer-songwriter, and he sat there and, and he sold a song for Chris Rock, wrote a song, and he made tons of money, and he was out here last week pitching TV shows. So you're right, you have to become somewhat of a multitasker because now in Hollywood, with the advent of social media and how big it is, you have to be aggressive in, in many different ways. Exactly. So, I want to talk about the article you wrote, which we'll, we'll go, but now, now, the article you wrote, explain to my listeners what happened, how it got viral, because it went viral, you got on all these TV shows, what was the article about, what made you write it, and why do you think it, it hit such a nerve, and it's funny, because it, and we, we talked about this when we messaged about the feminists, which, I, I, I love feminists, my girlfriend Joanne is a, a date rape survivor. She speaks at colleges. She's been on a bunch of TV shows, but she's not up there putting memes up every day, going "kill the rapist." You know, it's it's she's a feminist, but she doesn't act like one. Why do you think? Tell tell my listeners what your article is about, and then why you got all the interviews, and why did it hit a nerve? Well, the article really stemmed from my wedding vows. So I got married um, in January of this year, and my husband and I both wrote our own vows. And we wrote a bunch of things. And one was that, you know, I promised to, I, I vowed to stay hot for my husband. Um, and that's the truth. You know, they wanted a, it's funny, like, um, I was on Good Morning America and they kind they wanted to show, you know, a video of the vows and my, my husband didn't want to do it. He's like, no, that's too private. And I kind of feel like he was right. But um, so I came back and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to write about it. Um, and the article was originally called why I vowed to stay hot for my husband. And then the title was changed to, it was for your tango. Um, it was it was changed to, um, why staying hot for my husband is essential to my marriage. Um, and the article is about, I mean, it's funny because I've literally written hundreds of articles. And some I was like, sure, oh, this is so going to go viral. This is definitely going to go viral. This I thought might go viral, but kind of wasn't sure because I wrote it back in February and they didn't publish it until May. But in the article, I just talk about how like being my best self 
and trying to look good and you know work out and do all these things that I guess make me more aesthetically pleasing you know it makes me happy I when I am my best when I look my best when I feel my best I feel that I can be you know the best partner and um you know, obviously my husband doesn't mind that uh, in a multitude of ways. Oh, no, I agree with you. Because the funny thing is, my, my, my girlfriend, Joanne, she'll be 50 in September. She looks like she's 35. She's beautiful. And she goes to the gym five days a week. She's up at 6.15. She's going to the gym her whole life for 30 years. And when we started dating, you know, I didn't, she didn't have a long-term boyfriend before she met me for a while. And we started dating, and she did the same thing. She wanted to look good for me, just like me. I mean, now I'm, I'm getting a little flabby. But just like me, you know, I used to go to tanning. I used to do this. Because I would fly back east, you know, once a month. And when she picked me up at the airport, I wanted to look good. And she wanted to look good. And I just think that's a natural reaction. Well, exactly. And I think that also, well, two things. One of the reasons why I did write the article, which was sort of, I would say, it's the B story of the article, is that I think that women are under the myth, like, I feel like we live under this myth that as we age, we lose our looks, or just because we're 50 or 30 or whatever, we can't look good, and I think that is such BS, and there are all these older women, like, have you seen Julianne Moore? Well, let me tell you something about older women, as I, you know... Gorgeous. Oh, I, I see people I went to high school with. I'm I'm, 50, I'm 52. I see people I went to high school with. And and what people don't get is the times have changed for the fact that women now want to look hip just like guys. Like when I see a guy wearing dockers and a golf shirt, I go, what the hell? But women look great. I see people I went to high school with. They're all fit. They're all size twos, fours. Back when I was growing up, my mom was heavy. Women were heavy. It's a different time, and older women, to me, are the hottest people. I mean, you look at Jennifer Aniston. I mean, who who compares to Jennifer Aniston who's young? I don't want a Demi Lovato. I want a Jennifer Aniston. No, exactly. That That's the thing. And, you know, for a while, you know, people would say to me, or even, like, my mom would sometimes say to me, you know, well, what are you going to do when you, when you look old, when you're older? And I'm like, you know, and my mom is 64 years old and she looks pretty darn good. You know, I just don't think that's true. And I think that, you know, everyone also has their own stand. And this is sort of what I think offended people. Um, and, and I'm just going to say this outright. Uh, one thing that I really did not realize when I wrote this was that people have poor reading comprehension skills. Well, that, that, that that's obvious because you know you you can see I I can put a, I can put something on Facebook and then I, I I write funny posts I don't sometimes I write deep posts but it's amazing how sometimes people just sit there and read them wrong because I know I'm I'm like a victim of adult ADD when I was a kid it wasn't called ADD it was called just not paying attention and daydreaming but people read shit and what they do is they read stuff and they interpret what they read instead of looking at what the writer wrote. Well, exactly. And that's, that's part of the problem. I think that people, you know, said, oh, well, I said that all women have to do this. And I absolutely not. But I do think everyone has their own standards. Um, whether it's, you know, like a friend of mine was telling me, 
Her mother is, you know, is probably in her 50s. And she's not really into fashion, but she has gorgeous hair. And she always makes sure she has amazing hair. So that's her standard. You know, everyone, you know, everyone does. Or maybe it's not everyone goes to the gym five days a week, but like maybe it's three days a week. I don't know. But I feel when we're all trying to be our best selves, we're, we're the best partners. But I think that people misread that as I was saying women had to look a certain way or be a certain way or do certain things or be a certain size, which offends me to no end. Well, um, well let, me, let me interrupt you real quick. The, 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 the size thing, you know, bothers me because Joanne's a size zero. Sometimes she's a size two. When I go to buy jeans for Joanne, either people think I'm buying for my daughter or I'm a pedophile because, <laughs> you know, a 52-year-old guy doesn't walk in and buy jeans like that. And what bothers me, and she said it many times, is it's like if you're if you're a size five or below, you're 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 somewhat shamed. You're 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 it's 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 like it's like a thing. It's like oh my god, skinny white girls, and you're a skinny white girl, and Joanne's a skinny Italian girl, but she's white, and it's one of these things where it's like all of a sudden it's it's like a sin to be in shape. Oh yeah, absolutely, and I think that it's you know, and the joke is like I eat, I cook, you know, like. We always have prosciutto in my house. Um, you know, it's it's really funny. But, you know, the, the clothing, I'll tell you, the clothing size thing is so, I'm anywhere, I'm not even kidding, between a zero and a ten. So, it's, it's very frustrating. Well, the thing about the food is, and I'll be honest, there are the, the, the thin women who go out and they put everything on the side. And this and this and this. But there's there's thin women like you said you have prosciutto in your house. Joanne's the same when Joanne goes out. She's like, oh, what's what's the the, the most calorie ridden thing? I, oh, lobster ravioli with a cream sauce. Let me get that because you know what? I save my calories for a night like this. It, no, and that's and that's sensible. And you know, if that makes her feel good, and if that's healthy for her, and that's how she wants to live her life. No one, no one should judge that. And I think that, you know, women really judge other women's bodies, I think even more so than men do. Um, and I don't think, I, I just don't think that's, you know, that's fair or that that's right. Because people have, you know, people generally have a certain shape that they are, you know, or at least, you know, the people I know. And, you know, sometimes they're a little bigger, sometimes they're a little smaller, but you can't help it. So, so, so when you write this article... And now when you when you wrote it, you thought it might go viral, but did you think it would stir such a uh, such no. a nerve on people? Because it, it, it I mean I as I said, I forget who's uh Rebecca Ekafor, whatever her name is. I think that's who I saw it on her wall and, and I commented and I don't or is it is is it Ekafor? Are you friends with someone named Ekafor or Rebecca um, Whatever her name is. No. But but she posted it and I usually don't look at at People did comics post because I don't respect any comics. But I sat there and, and I played it and I was really taken aback by some comments. And then I went to your Twitter and I was really blown away that people were just so fucking mean. I mean, they, they, was, they were just like, they were just venomous to, towards you. And all you're doing, and for, in my eyes, and maybe call me shallow... But it's my girlfriend does it, and you know what? My girlfriend's more of a feminist than freaking anybody out there. She speaks to people on women's issues, not someone who hides behind a meme. 
it was it, it amazed me. I mean, were you expecting that kind of backlash? No, and it was and it was really under. I actually had to take. I didn't take down my Twitter, but I took it off of my phone. And um, our mutual friend Bridget, I'm like, can you just go through my Twitter and block people? And I was like, I was sitting there. Actually, I was crying, um, and I was in my little doggy pajamas, and it's like two in the afternoon, right after my Good Morning America came out, um, and I was just really hysterical, and I, I asked her to come over and do it, um, and she didn't. She's a great friend, um, but, you know, it's I just don't understand. I, this is going to sound really naive, but how do people have time to do this? To, to troll other people on the internet. I, I just don't, like, I feel like their lives must not be very filled with things they're really passionate about that bring them joy. They, they aren't. And it's funny because uh, Jen Kirkman, who's a phenomenal comedian, was on my that. show, and she's wonderful. And she told me that, you know, when, when she would be on a Chelsea show as a panel, she would come across as a cold bitch. And she said that. And, and off air, she's the sweetest kid you can ever meet. And she said she would get people just slamming her, saying, you're a C-word, you're a bitch. And she's like, I just made some statement. And that, and that's the scary thing. It, it, it's people have, well, it, it's called the power of the keyboard. Me, I'm someone, I have the airways. And I don't have a problem calling someone out. But most people don't have that. And they don't have the courage to do it. And for you, you're, you're, you're a pretty blonde who's married to a guy Who's living in LA? Who's from a went to a private school in New York? So people are going to attack you straight out of jealousy. Well, absolutely, and you know what? It's I. You know, I'll tell you. Like I've had moments when my life has been really bad, when just things were not going well, and you know, I would go on Facebook or I would go online, and I'm like, if I have to hear about this person's, you know, wedding one more time. I'm going to just hate them, you know, or I can't read about how this person is happy. And so instead of hating people, I just decided to not read it. And I didn't have to feel bad about it because I would stop after the headline, um, you know, and focus my energy someplace, someplace else. So how did it come to the, the fact where you got on um, Good Morning America. How did what was the whole can't let's say the, the the snowball effect? What happened? Um, well, Daily Mail picked up the story, um, and then you know it got on, and then you know it started to trend, um, and I think other outlets picked it up as well. Um, but I was in the middle. I was like, so the few date the week this was happening, I was super busy with things. So I wasn't really sitting there, you know, Googling myself or reading my own press. Um, and then they called me at like 11 o'clock on a Thursday and they were over at like 4.30 so in my living room with their, with their cameras um, filming. And, you know, Fox, Fox and Friends also called me a few hours afterwards. Uh, People Magazine, they, I had my wedding pictures on People, which was really exciting. Um, so it just sort of started to trend and it started to, you know, it just sort of naturally went viral. Why do you think it generated so much heat? Because I think that there is this, I think that people are just, uh, it's the truth. Look, 
everyone tries to make themselves look good for their, not everyone, but I don't know, most people I know try to make themselves look good for their partners or try to do things that make their partners happy. And, you know, I said in the article, I'm old fashioned, you know, I cook for my husband. In all fairness, we cook together and sometimes he cooks for me. He makes much better pork chops than I do. Um, does he does, does, does he pan saute him? Because that's the way to go. Because me and Joanne do the same thing. We switch off cooking. But pan sauteing a pork chop is the way to go. It's you. You know what? We have this grill pan we got from our for our wedding. The all clad grill pan. It's kind of pricey, but I swear it's a pork chop game changer. It's a food game changer. <laughs> um, so, I, email I, me that because me and Joanne were just talking about getting one of those grill things. We have the we have the one I got from Groupon that if if you put a if you put something too big on it, it slides down the side. You gotta send me that, 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 that. Oh no, no, no. I will I will send it. Trust me, it will change. It's it's such a game changer. Um and here, there you go. I'm a little bit domestic. Um I like to cook, I like to entertain, you know, and I think that people don't wanna you know, it's funny because, like, Martha Stewart has a huge industry. There are tons of blogs and websites, you know, about, you know, I don't want to say the domestic arts because that just sounds terrible, but, you know, about doing these things. And, you know, I just, as a person, I said, look, I, I like to do this. I like to make my husband, you know, a cocktail or I like to make him, you know, an Arnold Palmer. That's like the big drink in our house. Um, you know, and I, and I like making him, when he's happy, I am genuinely happy, um, you know, because I love him. So... It just, you know, it, I, I like, I don't want to say serving him, but I like doing things that make him happy. And I just, I just don't think there's anything wrong with that. And he does things that make me happy. And, you know, that's why we have a good relationship. But what bothers me is, and, and I think anything, any, any marital or relationship, you want to make both people's happy. And, and that, that's what pisses me off that people got so offended by your article. It's like for me, you know, when Joanne moved out, in my kitchen, I used to have a stereo on an ugly-ass table with a big <laughs> box of CDs. And when she came out, when she goes, that's got to change. And now I look at it and we put up one of those uh, carts, whatever they're called, whatever carts with bottles. And then I have two... Bar cart? A bar cart, yeah. And I have two aprons. One was when I did a celebrity chef thing and the other is from just a thing. And the kitchen looks much much better. But the same, and the same reason, it's like... We we work together, and and I think for a, a woman and a guy, we want to make our place home, our home exactly. And and for people to get pissed at you, and this is still what fascinates me about your article, is like what you did. You said I want to look good for my husband. What's wrong with that? I want to look for joy. I have to go back to the gym. But when I'll tell you before, and I, I got lazy. But man, when I flew in, I would fly for once a month for. Two years, and when I got off the airport after the red eye, I had my leather jacket. I was tanned. I was looking trim. Because you know what? I wanted to look good for her. And there's nothing different than a woman wanting to look good for a guy than a guy looking good for a woman. No, exactly. And people don't want to, you know, and this is the other thing too. There are tons of makeup, you know, contouring tutorials on YouTube and style and all this stuff about making yourself, you know, look good. So I said that I like making myself look good, which is something that millions of other women have said. I don't see how it's so, you know, I don't, I don't really see that as 
being controversial. You know, I, I think that we should all strive. I don't expect, I, I don't push my standards for myself on other women because we all have our own standards and we all have something different to work with. So you, you, you get on good, uh, good day, good morning, America. Good morning, America, yeah. Then all of a sudden, stuff hits the fan. Where do you go from there? What do you sit there and, and how do you start dealing with it? Not crying in your pajamas at two in the afternoon, <laughs> but how does someone sit there when they become a social media hit which or viral hit, which you were, you, you were very popular, and it's mixed reactions. It's, it's people, I'm sure there's people that had your back and agree with you, but there was the haters. How do you deal with that? Because it's out of nowhere. You're, 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 you're a kid who wants to write a blog, you're a good writer, and all of a sudden shit takes off. What, what's going through your mind? Um, I, was, I felt like, I mean, look, I can't sit there and respond to every comment because that's just not, that just doesn't make any sense. And I don't want to read things, I, I don't want to read mean things about myself um, on the internet. I, I know that they're there, um, but I, I can't, it's not, you know, productive to sit there and make myself feel bad or try to argue with people who are not worth our, like, you know, if someone is sitting there, a lot of the people who said really mean things, what makes them an authority? Like, they're not in relationships. They're, they don't seem to be happy. If you're a happy person, you're not going to spew hate on the internet. So I, it's just, it's pointless, but you know, I did, I did a little press tour. Um, you know, I went on, went on Fox and friends. I did, um, I did Dr. Drew's radio show in LA, which was really cool because I love Dr. Drew. Um, I did U2 America, where I didn't talk about the article. I did commentary, which is um, a channel similar to Fox News. I don't know if you've heard of it. No, I don't know. It's it's on Time Warner, um, and it's it's on a bunch of cable systems. But it's I guess it's like trying to be the next Fox News. I went on the Dr. Gina Loudon show, and she was great. Um, so that that's what I did, you know. And I had I haven't really written a follow up article because um, I'm working on a book, so. Let me that. ask. Okay. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Continue. No, I want to ask you. Do you think the reaction would have been different if you weren't a slender, attractive blonde? Because there's some there's some reason why people hate blondes, and it's it, it's it's just I don't know why, but why they brunettes, but you know, but I don't I don't know. Do you think the reaction if you were someone who weighed or was a size eight who weighed 150 pounds, who was plump and was a brunette with brown eyes. Do you think there would be no reaction to the article? You know what? I think people would feel the same way because I've even looked, you know, one thing that I have done since, since the article came out because, and I still get like hate tweets, you know? Um, and I still get some occasional mean emails is sometimes I'll read an article about someone who I really admire and then I'll look at the comments and I'll think the person is absolutely beautiful and amazing and doing great things. And people will still, it doesn't, 
it doesn't matter. People will always find a way to, to like you or to, to not like you. And I think beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You know, I think like there, I don't think that you have to be skinny or, or blonde. Uh, and I'm not a natural blonde. I've been coloring my hair probably since I was 15. Um, you know, to, you know, there are size eight brunettes that are, you know, gorgeous. So, you know, it just, like I said, it could go either way. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. So when you start doing the interviews, did, did you know what you were going to say? Did you sit there and think, you know, this is a game changing comment or is this, is that I'm going to be, I'm going to be conservative. Did you bring it to the table or did you hold back a little? Because you are on a forum, which as you said, the Dr. Drew radio show, good morning, America, you're on stuff that people watch and you know, it's going to influence your career also. And you want to be known more than just the woman who said this in her vows. What did you try to promote and how did you push the interviews? You know, I just sort of tried, they didn't, I didn't really get any questions in advance. Um, with Good Morning America, it was, it was the most sudden thing that's ever happened to me in my life. You know, that's the one thing I have to say, like, I love about LA is that you just never know what's going to happen. Like, I feel like you wake up in LA and your life could change in an hour. Um, so I was just trying to, I mean, the, the joke is this, we had literally moved into the apartment we're in six weeks to the day of that interview. We were still not fully unpacked. Um, they didn't send over hair and makeup. So I had to get hair and makeup done. I had to like, I had five hours to get myself together for such a huge opportunity. So I think that, and they were here for, they were here for quite a while. So I was just really honest um, and I knew it was going to be edited anyway. Did you think you, have to, you had to look a certain way because the article said, you know, I mean, your vows, you said, I want to look great for my husband. So you, you can't go on, you can't go on Good Morning America looking frumpy. Did you feel an expectation oh, yeah. where you had to stare and go, you know what, I got I got to go to the nines, which you should because you're doing an interview about that. I mean, what was, were you frantic? No, I, there's an app, there are a million apps you can use and you can just, it's like Uber. Um, you, I just, I had someone, I used this one, it was called Be Glammed and I was like, okay, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to have someone like come and do my hair. Like it, it was like that. It was like, I just had to really focus. I reread my article. I thought about some talking points. Um, but I just tried to be the best I could be. And I also wanted to enjoy the moment because, um, you know, I've been writing professionally for, I guess, almost four years now. And I felt like, okay, now I'm having my, my I was talking to um, another writer a few weeks before um, at a workshop. Um, I think someone we, we, Stephanie Wilder Taylor. Yeah, I know. she's She wrote the intro for my friend Chris Mancini's book about, being a stay-at-home dad. Yeah, she's she's amazing, and she's one of my favorite writers. And I was at a workshop with her, and I said, "I don't know what's wrong with me. I've never been on Good Morning America. I've never been on the Today Show. This is so frustrating." And literally, like two weeks to the day that happened. Now, as a writer, though, as a, as a writer, did you think what you wrote about the vows was one of your strongest works? And did you sit there and go, you know what? inside your mind go, wait a second, maybe, maybe this shouldn't be on because this shouldn't be viral because it's, it's not my craftsmanship. 
Um, I think I've written better articles, to, to be honest with you. It's also, you know, people, look, I have things I've written that I think are brilliant, and then they get edited a certain way, and not necessarily this article, but um, then I'm I'm not happy with the editing, but I just realize it's easier to let them post it, um, because I'm writing, if I'm writing for a specific site, it's their brand more than mine. Um, but I probably would have, you know, I wrote it so long ago. I, you know, it had been like months in, in between writing it and it being posted. So I think I would have maybe added a few more things. I would have said, because a lot of people, like, I, I said I work out five days a week. Well, part of the reason why I do that is my husband. The other reason, and and the other reason why is that, like, I have anxiety and it's a natural way to help with my anxiety. Right, and so it, it, that's just a natural thing people do. And what's funny is there's tons of people who work out five days a week. I mean, Joanne does it five days a week, and no one sits there. We were at a party last night up in the hills of uh, Sherman Oaks, and no one sat there and went, hey, man, what's your problem? Why are you looking so hot? Is it for your husband, your boyfriend? What's going on with you? And so for you, it must be frustrating for the fact that all of a sudden you're, you're pigeonholed as this woman who wants to look good for her man, which... I'm sorry, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, people were, you know, and people, like, yes, part of the reason is to look good for him. Part of the reason is for me. Part of the reason why, it's like, I didn't feel, there were things actually in the original draft of the article, which I decided didn't really make sense to include with the article. Maybe I should have. Here's an example. Um, when I was a senior in high school, um, I was in an SUV that flipped. I wasn't driving. Um the car skidded on black ice. It was an SUV. A deer jumped in front of the car. It was a whole thing. And I have back and neck problems from it. So part of the reason why, but like, that's a whole thing. It was so, I'm, I, I'm like, I'm just not going to include this in the article. It's totally, unne- it's totally unnecessary. And people were just like, but then I realized that people probably assumed the only reason why I worked out was to you know was to make my husband happy or to achieve a certain look and that that's just not true and that that was my mistake and it's definitely influenced my writing ever since because I feel like I I have to explain myself better or I think that people don't understand that I can't tell my whole life story in you know 700 words or 1500 words isn't it sad and I'll be honest and I I go through this because I tweet a lot and I tweet jokes and, and it's awful that, that we've come to such a point in creativity where you sit there and I ask Joanne, I go, hey, is, is this joke racist? And it's not. Like I'll tweet something, I go, is, is black people meet a uh, website for cannibals, uh, African-American cannibals? There's nothing racist about that. But now it's such, you have to watch every damn thing you write. And I think as a writer, it, it hurts you. I'm going to start writing a column for the Toluca Times, and I don't, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what to write because I had a column with them five years ago. But it's like nowadays you sit there and you push a little button, and everyone goes freaking nuts. Oh yeah, it's I I just it's made me really more cautious of of what I say and how I say things, and you know I, I just. I mean, even with, like, there was someone who wrote an article about my article. Um, and because, I'm not going to say who it was because she no, didn't... say who it is. She didn't, no, no, she didn't link to my article in her article. 
Um, always but, drop, always drop names on Cooper Talk. I'm a name dropper. Uh, Terry, say uh, who it is. I'm joking. I'm not joking. I'm joking. <laughs> um, I almost had you. I almost had you. You were going to say it, but don't worry about it. Um, but she wrote this. You know, she wrote it for a feminist website. Let's just a feminist website that's not Jezebel, um, but or ravishly. So there's another kind of big one. But anyway, um, yeah, bigish one. But anyway, candy um, something candy was that it? Was it? No, no. no. I, um, I, I'm, I'm just joking. I'll t- <laughs> Tell me all But uh, she, you know, wrote all these things about me that I had never had struggles in my life, that I've never, you know, had to deal with, you know, uh, issues or trouble or financial trouble or anything like that. And I'm just like, well, had she Googled my name and gone to my website and spent one minute scrolling down to read like three personal essays I had written, hmm, she could not have said that. And you would expect someone who I believe considers herself, you know, is a feminist and, you know, I think writes for a slightly more academic crowd, um, you know, to, to do her homework. And she's not even doing her homework. So if, I, if she's not gonna do her homework and she's writing a whole article, why, you know, I, I just can't expect, you know, someone who's sitting there and watching Game of Thrones and reading and IMing and talking on the phone to, you know, be able to do that as well. To, to you know, really understand that personal essays are just a slice of someone's life and not, not their life entirely. Well, I think that's what happens also. It's, in these days, it's so easy to do a uh, character assassination and judge people because no one's held accountable. And I think you sit there, I see it all the time with comics, bashing comics, and I go, I don't even want to deal with you guys because you know what, y'all suck. But <laughs> I, I think what happens is it's it's a thing where people just feel they can attack someone and they have a forum and all you were writing, all you wrote was you shared something very personal to you. You never thought it would go viral. I mean, you were hoping it would go viral because you're a writer. But when you wrote that, I'm sure when you sat down and wrote that, you were thinking, I just want to look good for my husband. And people just take it out of context. Well, it was something, it was more like I've just written, you know, I I wrote a lot of personal essays about my dating life. And so some of which went viral, but not clearly not as viral as this. And so it was just sort of more of a continuation of of my story. Um, and something, you know, that I thought would interest other people. Um, and, you know, I think I also, one thing that I do not realize is that, you know, growing up, my mom always had a drink, you know, ready for my dad. Um, and she always made herself, you know, look good for him. And, you know, sometimes I make this mistake and I, you know, I'm kind of naive that there's this part of my brain that's like, oh, everyone thinks this way, or, you know, everyone did that. And uh, I mean, it's embarrassing, but a lot of the times I'm I'm wrong that I forget that, you know, not everyone has my perspective, but it's not going to stop me from, you know, from writing my truth. No, no, no. How did you meet your husband? Um, we were introduced by my my best friend was dating a friend of his um and he lived in new york and i lived in la and i wasn't at all i wasn't really interested in him but my friend was annoying and persistent um so i said well just have him add me on facebook um and he im'd me 
And I said to him, look, I'm in the middle of cleaning out my closet, which I was. Um, and that was two and a half years ago. And the last time I cleaned out a closet, um, if you want to talk, this is my phone number. Give me a call. And we spoke for two hours. See, isn't that funny? Because it's like me and Joanne, we went to college together and we didn't see each other forever. And her friend married my friend. Long story short, they were looking for a comic. I set Joe Matarese up, who's done the Letterman show three times. He was better. Same thing. Joanne, I said to her, and it wasn't, I wasn't looking for a relationship. And I said, hey, she, she's an Eagles fan. I'm an Eagles fan. You know, she, she, we went to the same college and I sent her a message. We started texting. And when I called her the first time, we talked for four hours. I'll be honest. Wow. I have a phobia of calling people. I get I get messages from some of my friends who are big actors. They go, call this guy who wants to be on your show. And it takes me every ounce of courage to call that number. And that's for a guest of a show. And for me to talk to her, it's it's amazing. And it's something that you have the synergy that just works. Yeah, it's. I think that people don't use the, the phone en- enough these days. Um, they, they really don't. Um, so we started to sort of, it, it turned out actually he grew up like three blocks away from me. Now, did you know um, Joanne in college or I, were you I, guys friends or kind of fringy knew each other? I knew her, but I, I used to buy pot off her boyfriend. <laughs> and this is, now, now we're talking, this is 1985. And the last time I saw her, I was playing a comedy club and she, I, I ran into her at a bar called Walk and Roll. And I said, hey, and she was very... She was very different than I knew in college. She was very quiet in college. And I said, come to my show. And that was 1990. And she's someone who just fell out of my mind. Because I'd met so many people from doing comedy and being in the entertainment world that I forgot. But then when my friend said, do you remember a girl named Joanne? My my head sparked. And I was like, yeah. And she was beautiful back then. She's beautiful now. But I was the old thing. I'm like, oh, God, you know, that's 20 odd years ago. And back to your story, looking good for people, I'm like, what if she got... And I, I didn't think about dating her, but after we talked, I, we we were hitting it off. And I'm like, okay, I got to get a picture of her. I don't I, you know, I don't want her to be fat. And that's just my shallowness. But there's nothing wrong with that because we, we want our partner to be nice and good looking for us. And, and she wasn't. She wasn't fat and she looked great. And she was like you. She worked out and she wanted to look good. <laughs> So you guys met, and then how? Now, how did the whole? He was in New York, you were in LA. So what happened after that? Um, well, so I went to New York. I am. I'm very. I did something that I thought was sort of against every sort of dating instinct I have, which was I'm going to go visit him in New York because I was, you know, freelance writing at that time, and he. No, no, let me interrupt. Had you had good relationships before or bad relationships? I've had, you know, like. <laughs> Mostly bad ones. I mean, I've had some good ones, but you know what? It's just, I've had a lot of relationships where they just were not meant to be. Um, you know, I think, I think like everyone else, you know, you date and you hope to stop dating at some point. And, um, I just hadn't met the right person yet. Um, you know, it's, it's not that I didn't have a lot of dates, but it just, I don't know. I just I lived with a guy who was terrible to me, which was a huge mistake. So I was sort of cautious going going into this. But um, my my best friend Danielle, you know, I trusted that you know he was that he was as great of a guy as um, you know she she said that he was. So um, I went to New York 
for two weeks and I stayed with him um, and I stayed with my parents for a few of the nights as well. My parents still live there. And then um, I became bi-coastal and then one year to the day we spoke on the phone, we got engaged. That's awesome because me and Joanne were bi-coastal for two years. But oh, I'm also awesome. I'm also older than you, and I'm like you know she she was a condo owner. I had this stuff going on, and we had to make sure that that it was right. And I, I know you're what you're twenty three, twenty four, twenty eight, thirty. I don't even know. <laughs> I'm I'm a millennial. And, um, and so how old is he? He is he's actually also a millennial. So he's he's in his mid thirties. So his job. So he was teaching um, at that point, and the job sort of came to an end. Um, he was a professor, and um, it just we decided he actually wanted me to move in with him four months into dating, and I just wouldn't do it um, when you know my very bad relationship um, didn't work out. Um, I lived with this guy for like. Oh my gosh, we lived together for like three or four months after a few months of dating. And I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to stick to my guns and I'm not going to officially live with someone or give up my apartment um, until I'm engaged because I don't want to make the same mistake again. I mean, that being said, I was in New York with him most of the time, but I, I still had my place here. Um, and then he had an opportunity to write here to get a job here. So um, he moved out here, um, I guess about a little less than a year and a half after we had started talking on the phone. Now, this whole time you're dating and you get engaged, was this article stirring in your head? No, no. Um, I wrote an article about, about my engagement, um, about not settling because I wrote, um, I guess it was about three years ago, I wrote an article about how I wasn't going to settle and that I had been on so many dates, but I'm just not going to date for the sake of dating anymore. And that I believe the right person was out there. And I, I really did. And obviously he was. So the sort of sequel to that was, you know, I finally got engaged and I didn't have to, to set. I'll tell you what the title was. Um, but it was basically about how I, why I didn't settle and why you shouldn't either. And I, I don't think people should settle. I think it's much better to be alone and than to be in a bad relationship. And you're right. Cause you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a divorcee. And, uh, when I went through my divorce, my first Christmas alone was very hard on me because even as a kid, Christmas was a special time. And I sat there and I was really bummed at Christmas because I was sitting there. I was at Market City Cafe in, in Burbank drinking beers and just feeling awful. And I said, maybe I made the wrong mis you know, decision. And my friend said, dude, one day to 364 days, get over it. And he was right. And now I create Christmases with Joanne. But I think we do, sometimes people do settle and people are afraid to leave a relationship because it's, it's the hardest thing to leave a relationship because you feel like you failed. I mean, I, I definitely, people do feel that way or they think it's really better to be with someone. Look, like, I don't think, you know, a lot of people would say you have to meet someone who meets all of your criteria. Um, and, you know, my husband met, like, most of mine. What was your, uh, what was your criteria? 
you know, I wanted to be with someone who was, you know, who was considerate of my feelings, I would say. Like, that's number one, is someone who was considerate of my feelings and who really loved me for me. Um, and, you know, and the fact that I just think he's much smarter than I am and, you know, funny and interesting and, you know, all, all of those, all of those things where in someone who, you know, wants what I want and wants to have, you know, a similar lifestyle definitely, definitely helps. Now, what was his reaction to when your story got viral and people started going after you? Did people also go after him or did people sit there and change their perception of him saying, well, you know, were, were the guys probably very like, hey, man, that's great. Your, your, your wife wants to look great for you. And were the women, what was what was his whole react? What was the reaction to him? My husband is the most media shy person in the entire world. They wanted him to go on Good Morning America. They, they wanted him on Inside Edition, uh, which we didn't end up doing. Um, you know, I've had, you know, your tango wanted him to write an article about my article or, you know, and he's just not, he's just not into that. Um, he likes to be behind the scenes. He likes to be away from the spotlight and, you know, he's proud of me. Um, and he thinks what I'm doing is great, but you know, my, you know, my brand and I would say my persona, although I hate that term, but you know, when, when I write, you know, everyone, all writers have a certain persona that they, you know, and stand-ups and, you know, people who write and perform their own, you know, things, you know, have a certain face that they put out to the world. And, you know, he's not, he's not interested in putting out a persona or, you know, as he says, like, he knows who I really am. So how did the article change your writing career and where have you gone since then? Um, it changed my writing career. There were <laughs> there, are some for the good, for the for the better, for the worse. Um, you know, there are some editors that don't want to work with me, and that's fine. Um, there are plenty that do. I'm currently revising a book proposal, um, and I'm still looking for. Um, you know, I haven't signed anything yet. So, um, if anyone works in the book industry and wants to work with me, get in touch. Um, you know, sort of based on. Um, the book is a little bit personal essay, but also based on, it's called hashtag TBD, throwback dating. And it's about, you know, all the different dating tips and dating trends from all the years back uh, from, I'm going to say like 1952 to 2004 and about how we can, because there are some really interesting things. Like if you look at dating books, like he's just not that into you or the rules, a lot of it is dated, no pun intended, but there's some really good stuff in there. Yeah, and, and no, and he's just not into you. Greg's been on my show, and Greg just fell into that deal. He, you know, he he sat there and he, he was writing for Sex in the City, and they said do that. So he wasn't an expert, but the 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 book, like your article, went viral, and everyone bought it. Oh, I, that that's my favorite. That's one of my favorite dating books of all time. I actually have um, a guy friend who went through a breakup and I said, I know it's for women, but you need to read this book and you need to read it right now. And he read it in one night and he said he felt so much better. Um, so it's just about all these different, you know, what is the best of 
all of these, you know, classic dating books and how can we apply that to millennial dating? Because I think that a lot of, you know, nostalgia is a huge trend. Um, you know, I mean, people are still writing articles about sex in the city and friends and they haven't shot a new episode in, you know, 20 years or something, 15 years. But what do you think about the millennials? Because it seems like, you know, and you're millennial and you're very nice, but most of them, millennials are hipsters and they have a, they have a, they have a association of being douches and that, that's just the thing they have. How do you get across to millennials? Because most of them seem like they think they know everything. Um, you know, I think that you have to, you know, it's some, well, with humor, um, because, you know, the book is sort of intended to be funny, but I, I think the big problem with millennials and a lot of us don't want to address it is that we expect our feelings to be catered to. And that was not really how I grew up. Like, you know, oh, you want your feelings considered? You know, here's a swift kick in the ass. Um, and, you know, they want their safe spaces. And, you know, their colleges eliminating tests because that causes anxiety. Um, so I think that, you know, my approach is that you kind of have to take away the political correctness to get down to what really works and to make people realize how things really are and how they can best achieve happy relationships. How do you deal with it as a millennial? And you, you, from talking to you, you have an older spirit. You're very mm -hmm. traditional. And as I said, most millennials to me, I, I was doing a stand-up. I never do stand-up, but I call some guy Garfunkel, or Garfunkel Chia Pet, and he's like, oh, and I was like, dude, stop being a pussy. And everyone's like, oh, you know, it's like, how do you deal with that as a writer when you know that you are traditional and you're old school, which is wonderful, how do you try to write to the people that are, as you said, they're just so PC, it's disgusting. You know what? If you're, then that's not necessary. There are a lot of, you know, millennials who do agree with me and a lot of people who sent me, you know, supportive. It wasn't all negative. I mean, people did send me supportive tweets and emails. Um, and I think, you know what, if you can't put your beliefs aside for, you know, however long it takes you to read a book or an article, don't read it. You know what, you're, you're not my audience. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not for, for everyone. Yeah, but, but the thing is, though, it's, it's like, and, and, and as I said, I liked the article and I like that, but it's like, as a millennial, don't you feel like they, they turncoated on you? Sorry, what did you say? Don't you think they turned on you? They, you, uh -huh. you were just someone being, and, and they, they were doing bullshit. You know what? It's. I think that at the end of the day, if you are, if you're the kind of person who's sitting there writing, you know, hate comments on the internet, or you know, and the person who wrote a mean article about me, she actually wasn't a millennial. Um, you know, but if you're writing, you know, if you're doing takedown pieces without doing all of your homework, you know, that doesn't make me look bad. It makes it makes you look bad. And I think that there are a lot of people who, you know, I don't know, at least at least for me, you know, I'll start reading things online about about anything. And it will be a totally different belief than what I have for myself. But I try to put my feelings aside and read things through a more objective lens. 
and try to, you know, give that writer the benefit of the doubt and then interpret it that way instead of just approaching something saying, well, I'm going to disagree with this. This can't be right because it's not what I think. Okay. I just don't think that's a good way to live. Well, you shouldn't. And it's just that that's the negativity that is associated with millennials, which is also, but the funny thing is, I know people, I have friends who do that. They're just negative, awful people. And it's sad that, you know, sometimes we find that as a comfort zone because it makes us feel better. But in the same vein, it's like you got to get away from it, which it seems like you have. Well, I mean, sometimes, I mean, look, when I get, when people say mean things to me, it doesn't always like it doesn't always roll off my back, um, and it does. You know, some of the time it does make me feel bad because I don't I don't want to hurt people's feelings, but you know I just can't let it affect my life because if I did I wouldn't be talking to you. I'd be you know in my pajamas sitting in bed crying hysterically you know under the covers. So. That's not, you know, I have to push on. And look, no matter what anyone accomplishes, people are going to dislike them. You know, you could achieve world peace, you know, and there'll be a hate site for you. You know, oh, yeah, you're right. I mean, many times people called Jonas Salk a bitch, which was crazy. I don't know why they called Jonas Salk a bitch because he cured polio. But they said we'd rather see Kirk Cameron than uh, Jonas Salk. Exactly. And, anyway, you know what? That's almost our hour. Is that amazing? It was a, I, I, I knew our conversation would fly. There was something when you, you sent me the email. I went, man. And I, I knew it would just fly because I knew you had a lot to say. And then uh, I don't talk to many millennials. You are the second youngest guest. I talked to Liz Gillies a few weeks ago who has 2.8 million followers on Twitter. And, oh, wow. Uh, and, but she's she was in Victoria. She's a star of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And my dear friend John Alice got me for her. But uh, you got to give everyone everyone your social media stuff. Tell people where they can find you. Give that stuff right now, Amanda. Okay. So on Twitter, I'm at Amanda Lauren. Do you tweet I a like, lot? Do you tweet a lot? Um, I, I stopped tweeting for a while, but now I'm now I'm really trying to tweet more. And um, I, I, you know, I definitely write more funny things. I share pictures. Um, so my Twitter account is really fun. I, I love Twitter and I love tweeting. And um, I have a website, it's amandalauren.com. You have to write the I-T-S, amandalauren.com. And right now, I don't know when you're you're airing this, but um, what when do you plan to air this? It'll Don't worry about it. it. It'll be on my website in a while, but it'll be going like seven stations tomorrow. Oh, wow. Or throughout okay. the week. I don't even know. I have 15 stations there. I mean, I don't even know when they play. I might send, I jarble three episodes up, but it's all. Well, right now, it's more of a portfolio of my previous work, um, but hopefully, maybe by the time you listen to this, because it's my project for today um, and tomorrow, um, is that I'm converting it into more of a blog that's going to have original content. So cool. I think there's going to be a lot of really interesting stuff on there. And, that, and that, that's, um, that's on your website, right? That, yeah, it's AmandaLauren.com. People, check out Amanda Lauren. Great Thank girl, you. great guest. Follow me on Twitter, at CooperTalk. That's at CooperTalk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have got 530 episodes up, and I got like six in the can. I'm, I'm going to start posting every day. I'm going to start recording six episodes a week because I, I have so many good guests, and I love them all. And uh, Instagram, coopertalk1, uh, where's your friends, coopertalk1, and stopassault.com. You know, when I went through my heart disease, you heard it. You lived it four years ago. 
well, it's the it's it's my cookbook. So buy it. You can get it at Amazon or Barnes and Noble because I've sold a huge eighty copies. Buy it for me. I make more money. Joanne needs more shoes, and we got to sit there and I got to take her on a nice vacation. So start buying the freaking book, people, so I can take Joanne to the Bahamas for her vacation. So go check out Amanda. Please check her out. Great writer. She's amazing. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and we'll talk to you guys next week.